In preparation for that, you can turn with me to the book of Luke and chapter 19. First, I'd like to say thank you to uh, Pastor John and the elders for allowing me the opportunity to preach uh, this evening. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey, a small Hispanic church in Haddonfield, uh, Camden at one point. Um, I always looked up to this pulpit. Great men of God have preached from this pulpit. I've always revered it, had a certain respect for it. And it's because it's from this pulpit that God's word made sense to me. And so it's a little bit surreal and uh, a lot of it humbling uh, to be here and to be able to preach God's word to you. Um, You got seven sermons already, but I'll give it my best uh, now. So Luke chapter 19, I'm grateful to be able to preach God's word. Uh, Verses 1 to 10 is where we're going to be this evening, why Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Let me read God's word for us. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thus reads the word of God. Uh, Let us pray before we dive into this. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for its truth. We thank you most pointedly at this hour that your son came to seek and to save that which was lost. Seven testimonies this night we've heard already of that power at work in the lives of your people And now we seek to hear it afresh from your truth, from your word. Thank you, Christ, that you came not without a purpose or without an aim, but with a very particular sense to save lost souls. It's that reason that we are here. Either some because they need to see you in faith for the first time, or some because they need to be reminded that to see you in faith leads to a lifelong commitment of faithfulness. Thank you, God, for your truth. Write it upon our hearts in this hour. We pray in Jesus' holy, matchless name. Amen. Well, a man was once on vacation and strolling outside of his hotel in Acapulco, enjoying the sunny Mexican weather, he suddenly was attracted by the screams of a woman kneeling in front of a child. The man knew enough Spanish to determine that the child had swallowed a coin. 
So seizing the opportunity, he rushed over to help and he grabbed the child by the heels and he held the child up and he gave the child a few shakes and out fell of the kid's mouth an American quarter onto the sidewalk. Oh, thank you, sir, cried the woman. You, you seem to know just what to do. Are you a doctor? The man replied, no, senora, but I'm from the United States. And I work for the IRS. (laughs) Tax collectors are good at finding money. They can scope it out anywhere. They can find it in your pocket. They can figure out if a child's choking on it. Tax collectors know how to get it. They'll find it. It's what they do. And the man in our story... Well, he's no different. In fact, he's one of the best. He's greedy, he's wealthy, and he's ruthless. He'll do anything to put another penny in his pocket. And I mean anything. It's his job, absolutely, but it's also his chief desire. And so, he'd lie for money. He'd extort people for money. He'd bully people for money. He'd harass people for money. He would cheat for money. He would defraud for money. He would do anything for money. In any way possible that he could seek it out, he would find it. This man loved money. He knew where it was, and he knew how to get it. And you know him well. His name is Zacchaeus. Almost as hard as to say Isaias. And together we are we little men. This also was a wicked little man. And he was hated by his countrymen. He was hated by his loved ones. He was hated in his community. And most assuredly, some would even say he was hated by God. He was a small man, but he was also a wealthy man and a wicked one at that. He wanted money, and he'd do anything to find it. And in Sunday school, children's church, I think we've been taught to look up to this story and to think of this little man, and we focus on him so much. But there's another seeker in this story who's the prominent figure of the story. Tax collectors can find money, but Jesus can find sinners. That's the story. Zacchaeus might have been good at getting his. Jesus is much better at getting those who belong to him. That is the story. Zacchaeus loved money. Jesus loves sinners. That is the story. This absolutely is a story built around the confines of one particular man. But the greater one is Jesus, who would look upon this man Someone disregarded in society. Someone outcast by his own people. Someone worthless to his people. Someone so sinful he didn't belong with his family or with his synagogue. Someone who didn't belong at the dinner table, let alone in someone's church. Jesus came looking for him. And that story, it finds itself running full circle in that Jesus doesn't just give us this, this story. Luke doesn't just write this story to tell us about 
this one man, Zacchaeus, he, he tells us this story. It's aiming at the, the theme of his book, his entire letter. It's been written for this purpose. The climax of it all, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The story of Zacchaeus. It's a good one because it's got humor in it and it's funny. It's about little people and it's about taxes and it's about sycamore trees and it's about climbing and it's about joy and it's about grumbling and complaining. It's about dinner. It's about even perhaps a slumber party. We'll get to that. But it's much more about this. It's about the reality that if it weren't for Jesus stooping low, if it weren't for Jesus putting aside glory, if it weren't for Jesus becoming like us, and if it weren't for Jesus being nothing like us, we would have no hope of being found. This story is the story of us all. All of us once lost, all of us only found in Jesus. That's the story we want to behold this evening It's a story far less about Zacchaeus hoping to see Jesus. It's far more about Jesus having to save Zacchaeus. And such might be some of you here this night. Some of you, this is your sycamore tree, and you'll get a glimpse of Jesus. But I want you to know more than anything that Jesus has a gaze fixed upon you. He desires to save you. Are you lost? Are you wandering? Have you been pursuing your own desires? What has it led to? How satisfied are you? How much joy have you bound up? And how much of that joy is everlasting? Are you okay with where your life is at? Are you dissatisfied? Then this story is for you because he's come to seek and to save the lost. And if you're here and you have been found, this story is also for you. Jesus came once to save. He'll come again one day to judge the earth and to redeem those whom he has purchased with his blood. But in the meantime, he's left you here. And if he came to seek and save the lost, I hope your mission matches up with Jesus's. Yours is his to seek and to save. If you have been found, then this story is a reminder that we are not to be selfish with the faith that we have but to share it generously with other people, to give to others the good news that came finding us, that if Christ has found you, you would be the voice that calls out to sinners to come, repent, not because they want to, but because Jesus, he is finding his people out. It's the beauty of this story I want us to see that this story is simply about Jesus coming to seek and save the lost in three particular scenes of the story. Number one, I want us to look at a shortage of joy, pun heavily intended. Luke 19, 1 to 4. Secondly, I want us to look at uh, the shock of hope, a shock of hope. And thirdly, I want us to see a shower of grace. A shortage of joy, a shock of hope, and thirdly, a shower of grace. And seeing that Jesus is one who's come to seek and save the lost, let's begin here with a shortage of joy. We begin this story, Jesus entering the town of 
Jericho. He was beginning to pass through there, and the reason is that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is preparing to celebrate the Passover with his disciples and with his people. He has a particular intention, and not only is it the Passover that he intends to celebrate, it's the Passover he intends to initiate. They were beginning to celebrate when God delivered people, his people, out of Egypt. Jesus is going to celebrate that and also to initiate the atonement for sins that would deliver sinners from God's wrath and into God's grace. And so he enters into Jericho. It's a bit of a pit stop. It's on the way. It's about 15 miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus, though his eyes are set on Jerusalem, much with the crowd that has gathered around him, it's on the way with him. Jesus has somewhere he needs to go first. It's as if, though, Jesus has 99 sheep with him, but there's one he's got to go find real quick. And so Jesus has to make a stop in Jericho. And he does. Jericho is a significant town, at least in this time. You remember when the walls came tumbling down, they're rebuilt at this point. Uh, it's a little bit, a mile south of where it used to sit. Now it's a town buzzing with business and commerce. It's a town that literally means the perfumed. It's a prominent town because it it smells good. It smells good because it's got some plantations in the town that make it smell good. And all that good smell has to do with the balsam plants that are grown there. And not only do they smell good, they have medicinal purpose and they make good business. It's kind of like... uh, It's kind of like Austin, Texas. Everybody wanted to move there. Not you, you're faithful here, but uh, everyone wanted to go there because it was a place that people could make good money. They could make a good living. They could make a good home for their families. There was a lot there for people. Jericho was a town where, as I would say, it was hopping. It was not only a place that smelled good, but it was a place where people wanted to be, a place people wanted to live. And you would note that because it's a place people wanted to live, it's also a place that came with its, its great share of risks. I think you would note that, and actually Luke notes that for us a bit early on in Luke chapter 10. The Good Samaritan is a story of a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, falling in the hands of robbers. Many were eager to catch people on their way there because if you were on your way to Jericho, it must have meant you had money or something good or opportunity. And Luke 19 reminds us that the robbers weren't just in the highways and byways. The robbers were also within its walls. And we meet a man just like that, and his name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is here in this prominent town, and he is a prominent man. Zacchaeus has made a living for himself by being a tax collector. And before you guess incorrectly, collecting taxes, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not the issue in Zacchaeus' life. In fact, John the Baptist in Luke 3, 12, when people come to him saying, what should we do now that we've repented? He just tells the tax collectors, don't take more than you're authorized. That's all it is. Don't take more than you're supposed to. Even later in Luke 20, 25, Jesus comes around and says, give to Caesar what Caesar's and give to God what belongs to him. Nothing wrong with taxes, something very much wrong with the guy collecting them. Zacchaeus had a great problem and it wasn't his job, it was his greed. 
And it was common to tax collectors to be this way. He was someone who abused the system. In the system, both in in Jewish law and also Roman law, there were fixed taxes. There were also taxes that you could impose that had nothing to do with your government. And so, in particular, in a town like Jericho, where there was such prominent trade and commerce, Zacchaeus and many like him, they could tax you however they wanted. They could take your money while you weren't looking. They could make you owe them money while you didn't know it. All we know is they could take your money and they were good at doing it they would lie to you they would cheat you uh zacchaeus in particular you would note he's not just any tax collector he's noted here as being a a chief tax collector he was the supervisor tax collector or, or the manager tax collector he's who karen wanted to talk to he wanted to talk to this tax collector he ran the show He governed the other tax collectors, and the reason he got there, it wasn't because he did a great job at fitting in with the system. It's because he was probably more ruthless than the rest. He was as bad as it got. He was the worst of the lot. That's how poorly he treated people, that he was given the role of being a chief tax collector in a prominent town. This is who Zacchaeus is. And all this greed, all this dishonest gain, it's led him to be wealthy beyond measure. That's how Luke notes it in verse 2. Behold, in this prominent town of Jericho, there is a man named Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector, and he is rich. He has a lot of wealth. He has a lot of possessions. He has a lot of money. And it's to this man, that now there comes this sudden urge to see another man who's entering into town. This chief tax collector, this rich man, this one who, because of his deeds, has likely been ostracized from his community, has likely been ostracized from the community of faith. This man, he now intends to see Jesus. It's an interesting thing to want to do, Earlier on, if you would remember in Luke 18, there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And it's not very easy for rich men to follow Jesus. In fact, it would be easier for a a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for anything to happen in Zacchaeus' life by looking to Jesus. But he wants to try. He's given to the task. He says, I'm going to give it a shot. Verse 3, he was seeking to see Who Jesus was. What prompted that desire to see Jesus? It doesn't tell us here, but I have my suspicions. I wonder if Zacchaeus, I wonder if his conscience was guilt-ridden. Having sinned so much, having fallen so short, having defrauded his people so badly, having committed so many sins, and having to pay the penalty for that by being ousted by his own people, being thought of as a nobody by his people, being thought of not only as a tax collector, but as the worst kind of sinner by his own people. I wonder if he started feeling a little bit guilty. I wonder if it was all the contempt 
that had piled up against him. All the hatred that had grown against this one man. How despised he was by his own people. How despicable he was when he walked in town. How rejected he was by men and how rejected he understood himself to be before God. I don't know if you know this, but someone who does the things Zacchaeus does, it doesn't please God in the least, and God's word makes that clear to us. Leviticus 19.13, you shouldn't oppress your neighbor or rob him. Not only that, Deuteronomy 25, you shall not have in your bag two kinds of weight, a large and a small. You shouldn't have two kinds of measurement. You should be fair. Verse 16, for all who do such things, all who act dishonestly, are an abomination to the Lord your God. I wonder if Zacchaeus felt the weight of being an abomination. I wonder if it wasn't his conscience or the contempt of his people or even the Lord. I wonder if it was his colleague. I wonder if it was his colleague. You know, Jesus is coming to town. He's not coming by himself. He's been gathering a crowd this entire time. And, and with him, there's a particular guy that's coming. Uh, his name is now Matthew. It used to be Levi. And in Luke 5, he also was a tax collector, but he gave up everything. And now he's with Jesus. So, so there's hope, isn't there? Because Jesus is coming, but so is, my, so is my coworker. So is that guy that used to do the thing that I'm doing. And if it wasn't that, I wonder if it was his curiosity. In his coming, this Jesus, one who takes tax collectors and walks with them, dines with them, sits with them, receives them. He's heard of his fame. He's likely heard of his compassion. He's heard of his miracles. He's heard of his deeds. He's heard that this guy makes lame people walk. He makes blind people see. He, he turns cups of water into t- cups of wine. I mean, this guy is something to look at. I got to at least get a glimpse of this guy. I wonder if it was his curiosity. You know, no matter what it was, something led Zacchaeus to want to see Jesus. Something deep within his soul led him to say, I need to see the man who's coming into this town. Which was customary for the day. Whenever someone entered your town, especially during these festivals, these, these pilgrimages up to Jerusalem, it was actually a custom that the people would go out and greet them. How much more now that this, this Jesus, this miracle worker, this good teacher, this rabbi, this one who's so many followers, he's coming, he's coming to town now. Oh, we all got to go greet him. And so does Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus has a little problem. Right? Okay. We're getting there. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. I love Luke because he puts it the same way I would. It's not, it's not that I'm short. It's that they're tall. He wanted to see Jesus, but the, the crowd was too big. And yes, Zacchaeus was pretty short. And so not only does Zacchaeus have an issue with seeing Jesus because of how sinful he is, 
He's got a physical issue when it comes to seeing Jesus. He's not going to be able to see over the crowd. He's like my little boy at Disney. When you want to see the parade, you want to see the lights, you want to see everyone coming through, I got to pick him up and put him on on my shoulders. The only problem is Zacchaeus is a grown man. No one's putting him on their shoulders. So Zacchaeus, he does something utterly ridiculous. He climbs a tree. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if there was a parade coming down the street here? Pastor John climbs a tree. You would think he's crazy. And Zacchaeus is crazy. He's crazy to see Jesus. Verse 4, he runs ahead and he climbs up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. He he saw the scene. He knew where Jesus was going to walk. And he said, I've got to climb that tree. I've got to get up there or else I'm not going to get a good look. And it's what desperate people do when they need Jesus. You've seen it before. You saw it in Luke 5, 17, 26. Do you remember the friends of the paralytic man? There was a big crowd that wouldn't let them in a house. So you know what they did? Up on the rooftop, they opened it up and they put the man down the roof. That's what desperate people do when they want to see Jesus. They'll do whatever it takes. If you're not going to let me see him, I'll find something to see him. And so Zacchaeus... He sees this sycamore tree, one that he probably passed day in and day out as he grew up, one that he probably played under numerous times with his friends, one that he probably sat under and had lunch on his own as he thought about life and contemplated what he was doing with it, one that he'd seen days after day after day. Now it is that blessed tree that lifts him up to see Jesus. Friends, that is a lesson for us. If you want to see Jesus, you let nothing get in your way. You won't regret getting a better view of Jesus. If you got to climb a sycamore tree, praise God for the sycamore and climb. That blessed tree planted there for years now is a beacon of hope to Zacchaeus because from there he sees Jesus. And now we're at a comical point of this scene. Zacchaeus, a wee little man, he's become like a bird or a monkey. He's perched in this tree wanting to see Jesus. His life is a ruin. His life is a mess. His life lacks joy. His life lacks hope. His life lacks peace. His life is full of burden. His life is full of sin. His life is full of defrauding his people. But guess what? He's in a tree, and he's about to see Jesus. And from a shortage of hope, we turn secondly here to a shock of hope. Because as he's standing in this tree, hoping to just get a good view of Jesus, what happens? Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine the shock in Zacchaeus' face? Zacchaeus just wanted to get a better view of the guy. And Jesus, 
He's looking at the crowds. He's looking at the road. He's got disciples with him. He's got people following him. He could look into trees, but there's plenty of trees. This is a rich land. It's, a low, it's an oasis in the middle of a desert. I mean, there's buildings to look at. It's a prominent land. Why doesn't he look at the plantation? No, he looks up into a tree and he sees Zacchaeus. And he calls him by name. What a shock to Zacchaeus. Of all the things in the world that he could notice, he noticed me. Who am I that he is mindful of me? I wonder if that was his question. All I know is Jesus looked up, saw him, called out to him by name, never knowing the man, never meeting the man. Seems like he was in touch with God. Called him by name and said, you, you need to get down from there because i got to come to your house. And Zacchaeus, like a kid on Christmas morning, kids come down, we're ready to open gifts. He bolts down that tree. You see it there in the text, verse 6. He hurried down. He wasted no time. Say less, Jesus. I'm coming down this tree. And I would imagine that a man who walked up this tree with very little joy came down with a lot of it. I know it because the text tells me so. He hurried down and received him joyfully. You know, this scene here it reminds me a little bit of when you would go to the movies and haven't gone to a good one in a long time, but you know, it was a time where you would go to the movie and you'd watch it and then the credits would come. And you would sit through the whole time of the credits because you, you began to watch their game where there was this scene at the very end of the film that if you didn't stay for the entire time, you'd miss it. And it was either a really funny scene or it was something that would tell you about the sequel or it was something altogether unrelated. Well, this is a very similar scene and it's actually very important. This is a scene from the end of the credits of another film, another session, another story. And we find it in Luke 15. You remember the shepherd who has to leave his 99 to go for one, right? And you remember that he does whatever it takes to seek that one that was lost until he finds it, right? And you remember that when he brings that lost sheep back into town, the shepherd rejoices and so does the whole town. Well, now we got through the credits and we get to the end and we see the sheep was pretty happy too. We see that when a sinner is found, there is more joy than anything in this world could offer. This is the closing scene of that film. It is the shepherd finding the one. And I'm sure the shepherd is joyful. Jesus is glad. The angels are rejoicing. But so is Zacchaeus, what joy for a man who has been so hopeless. What joy for a man who has been so despised. What joy for a man who has been so sinful to finally be told that he's welcomed. What's interesting, Jesus is, man, he's a, he's a Latin homes person's nightmare. Like he, usually you get to make the invitation, but Jesus says, hey, I'm coming to your house, ready or not. I didn't get to clean, I didn't get to cook, I didn't get to do anything. And Zacchaeus, he doesn't worry about any of that. He says, all right, we're going. Let's go home. 
This is what Christ came to do. He came to seek Zacchaeus out. Zacchaeus went up that tree to see Jesus. But I think more importantly, Jesus came to Jericho to see Zacchaeus. That is the message of the gospel, not only for him, but also for us. You heard it endlessly from the baptismal tonight. I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't seeking him. I didn't know him. I was trying to fix a broken radio and and working with hangers and cassettes were falling on my lap. Why? Because when we don't know him, he knows us. When we don't even know what prompts us to climb up a tree, we come to find out Jesus has been looking for us the entire time. And Jesus always gets what Jesus wants. Jesus came looking for Zacchaeus. And he came not just to dine with him, but to save him. And that he would do. What a thrill of hope that Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. What a shock for this little man. But he says, let's go. And so thirdly here, we enter into the final scene, a a shower of grace. Grace is often met with its doubters and with its haters. And so before we can turn to the joy that is befitting the work of Christ in Zacchaeus' life, we see in verse 7, as glad as Zacchaeus was, Some were not so happy. And when they saw it, they being those who were there, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Are you you kidding me? And we're used to seeing this from the religious people. We're used to seeing it from Pharisees and scribes. But this is everyone. Because no one likes a tax collector. Except apparently Jesus. No one wants to sit with a tax collector. Except apparently Jesus. And this isn't the first time. Luke 5, we talked about him. Levi rescued and the Pharisees grumble. Why do you eat and dine with tax collectors and sinners? Luke seven thirty nine, a, a woman enters into a Pharisee's home to anoint Jesus' feet with oil. And the, and the religious people cry, if, if this man were a... If he were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who's touching him, for she's a sinner. In Luke 15, 2, where Jesus describes his delight in saving sinners, it all comes because people are clamoring. This man receives sinners and eats with them. might be bad news for them. It's good news for the rest of us. That Jesus eats with sinners and that he receives them is the only hope we have. None of us with the power to save ourselves. None of us able to rescue ourselves from the plight of our sin and its needed punishment. But Jesus, he's on a mission. He must go to Zacchaeus' house. And I'm wondering if he's knocking on the house of your door saying, I must come in. You're a sinner? Great. You qualify. Let him in. You got a lot that God doesn't like? Wonderful. Good news for you today. God knows that. Let him in. 
Zacchaeus did. And while those around him grumbled and complained, Jesus was very glad because he's in the business of saving. He's always been in the business of saving. That's, that's what he tends to do in Jericho. Before, he saved this prostitute woman from there that no one seemed to think was worth a penny, but she came out of there alive when the walls came tumbling down. And from her, we find the lineage that leads us to Christ. And now we find Christ coming into this town and saving this wee and wicked little man, Zacchaeus. A shower of grace has entered into his home out of divine necessity. And in verse 8, we see that happen in real time. In verse 8, we read, Zacchaeus stands and says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods, I give it to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, some try to say that Zacchaeus here is being a little proud of his good works. They think Zacchaeus is a little bit stuck up about his new friendship with Jesus. I don't think that's the point. We don't get the gospel presentation here. We don't know what the dialogue was like. I think the point that Luke is making here is that a saved life is a changed life. A, A shower of grace is known by the fruit that it brings forth. When Jesus shows up somewhere, he cleans up. Jesus ain't walking into your house to let it be the way you want it. He's the interior designer. Let him go to work. And he is at work. And we see that work in Zacchaeus' life. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods, I'm going to give them to the poor. And I'm sure some bitterly clamor, oh, just half, huh? This rich guy, he's only going to get half of what he has to the poor people. Yeah, because I need the other half to give it to the people I robbed. There's people I've stolen from. There's people I've taken from, and I've got to give it back. And what's interesting, in, in the Jewish law, it would have been required of him to give back 20%. You can look at that in Leviticus chapter 6. It would have been right of him to give 20%. That was the right thing to do. The righteous thing to do is not to live by the law but to live by love. And so Zacchaeus says, I'm not giving 20%. How about 400%? I can do that. With the 50% I have left, I'm not gonna live by law. I'll live by love because I see it now in my home. I'm gonna give as much as I can. Zacchaeus, his life was changed. This is part of what happens when Jesus seeks and saves the lost. They aren't who they were before. They're transformed. They don't live by the same ways they used to. They don't love the same sin they used to. They don't want to struggle in the same sins that they used to. Imperfect as they be, they are being changed. And so the point Luke seeks to make for us is, this is a saved man. You want to know it? He's a changed man. Zacchaeus' life, it could look no different than this. Once he was greedy... Now he's generous. Once he was out to get everything he would want, now he's out to give everything he has. What the rich man couldn't do, Zacchaeus is doing. 
How's that possible? We were told even that this is impossible. Luke 18, 26. When, when the disciples hear that the rich man can't be saved, so to speak, they said, well, then who can be saved? It seems to be the question that we're asking of Zacchaeus. How is it even possible that he's saved? Jesus gives us great hope in Luke 18, 27. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Zacchaeus not saved because he was committed to good works. Zacchaeus saved because Jesus did a work in his life. And Jesus affirms it for us in verse 9. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. He reminds him of this by way of saying, since he's also a son of Abraham, and he wasn't reminding him of his ethnicity, he was telling him of his new spiritual state. He was telling him, a Jew is not one outwardly, he is one inwardly. He he is not one who is circumcised outwardly, but one whose heart has been circumcised. And he is one who has not been circumcised in the flesh, one who's been circumcised by Christ. One who has been, had his heart of stone removed and now has been given a heart of flesh. This is Zacchaeus. And notice, it wasn't him next week. It wasn't him next month. It wasn't him next year. It wasn't him sometime that was convenient. It was him today. Listen, sanctification will take a long time. But if Jesus is knocking on your door and he wishes to save you, It's a today kind of thing. It happens in the here and now. And you're granted power in the here and now to change. That's what happens to Zacchaeus. He doesn't boast of his good works. He commits to good works because Christ in his grace and his mercy has saved him to do such things. He's living out now the generosity of what he's received in Christ. The love that has found him He desires to give to others. How has this all happened? We come to the climax of this story. It's happened because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. How is it possible that this kind of transformation, that this salvation would happen in the life of a man like Zacchaeus? It's what Jesus came for. And before Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he wants to show us a picture of what he can do in us. If he could do it in a man like Zacchaeus, if he could save a man who shouldn't be able to fit through the eye of a needle, he certainly can save you. If he could save a man so wicked and so vile, so despicable, so sinful, What do you have to bring to the table that Jesus can't handle? He could handle Zacchaeus, little as he was, with all his big problems. I guarantee you, he can take care of you. That's what the Son of Man came to do. This title, it's Jesus' favorite for himself. He uses it 83 times to describe himself, Son of Man. And it denotes both his deity and his humanity. It's a look back to Daniel chapter 7 where there is one who is coming. Presented before the ancient of days. He will be the one who will save. 
It is also a picture of the kind of Savior that we needed. One who was like us. One who would sympathize with us. One who would live like us. One who would take on flesh. Here he is. The Son of Man in full display. And why did he come? He came to seek and to save the lost. I think we just found the answer to our great riddle this evening. Why did Zacchaeus go up a sycamore tree? Why was he so restless to see Jesus? What would prompt this man who probably was even scared to go out in the town, fearing what people might think of him, fearing of how people would receive him? Of course he would get stuck in the crowd. Nobody wanted him there. Why would he go up to a sycamore tree? Why would he want to go see Jesus? Because before the foundations of the world, Jesus had an appointment with him. So it is for each and every single one of us. We have no boast in the work of grace that has happened in our lives. Because as we know it to be said, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. If you have climbed up to see him and you've seen him in faith, praise God. It is a sign that Jesus truly seeks and saves the lost. You were prompted by one thing and one thing only, the voice of your shepherd calling out to you. And maybe that's you here tonight. You're you're restless. You're weary. You've got nothing to give. You have no idea how else to live in a way that would please God. You are ready to give up. And if you're restless and looking for a sycamore, this is it. God brought you here to show you his son. One born in a manger, but born to die. Born to give his life as a ransom for many. Born so that you might live, though your judgment is death. This is who he is. He's one who seeks and saves the lost. The glories of John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus has prayed, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given to me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. The promise of life, the guarantee of being found. Jesus prayed for it. That prayer is answered because the one who came, came to seek and save the lost. What good news this is for sinners. Today is the right time to see that Jesus has long been seeking you. If you're here today and you do not know him, this is a cry to your heart to look upon him and see that he's been seeking to save you. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You have seen him you also see that he's seeking to save you. And if you're here and you're a believer, the message that we have for us here, the message that stands for you is this. 
in this season, you've understood why he came. You understand that he came to seek and save. And you have been found. But you are going to be sitting at a dinner table. You will be going to some family gathering. You will be going to some company party. You will be playing some kind of white elephant. And in those moments, I wonder if you will be like Jesus and seek and save those that are lost. Not in your power, but in the power that resides in you. That you would declare to the world, there is no reason for Jesus to condemn us. He hasn't come for that. He has come to seek and save. Judgment will come. But today, salvation is at hand. He comes to dine at your house. Will you receive him? That is the message that you get to proclaim. I'm reminded, and as we close, I leave us with these words. A great hymn that we will read and sing for the next few weeks. It reminds us of this story, of all our story, the greatest story, and the reality that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That means that if there's a shortage of joy, there's also a shock of hope in Jesus because he brings with him a shower of grace. Pray that you see that. I pray that you would declare that in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your truth. Thank you, God, that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we had no hope to save ourselves, Jesus came down to save his own. Thank you that while our lives were piling up sin and disobedience before God and wrath from God, Jesus stooped in to take all of it from us and to become for us what we deserved so that in him we might receive what we could never earn. Jesus is a savior. And if there is anything that you have asked us to see about him, it is that. He came to seek and saved the lost. Thank you, God, for your grace and mercy. Thank you, God, for how you transform wicked lives and you turn them into precious stones. Thank you, God, for how you work miraculously, not only in the life of a wicked tax collector, but of every sinner who repents of their sin and turns in faith to Christ. This is our only hope. May we never tire of it. May we always declare it. And we ever live by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.